go. Um, my name is Reggie. If you came this morning looking for Jeremy, uh, Jeremy ran in the Augusta Half Marathon this morning along with um, several other people from our church. And uh, so some of them will probably be coming in late um, in the next few minutes. But thank you guys for being here. Again, my name is Reggie. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Church. And um, we are going to be looking at a specific passage from Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll move on from there. God, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. God, thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship, to sing together, to pray together, to take communion, to do all the things that are going to happen in this place this morning. Thank you that we can gather around the name of Jesus. You got over the next few minutes specifically as we look at your word, as we look at Ephesians chapter 3 and some specific ideas that you would have us grasp. God, I pray that you would move in our hearts and minds to help us um, get what it is you would communicate to us this morning. God, I, I stand, as I stand here, I recognize that what I have to say is of little importance at all. But God, what you would speak to us, what you would say is of great importance. So God, over the next few minutes, I pray that you would use me simply as an instrument of your grace and mercy, instrument of your love, instrument of the gospel, that Christ would be raised high, that people would be drawn to Jesus, and that I would be moved out of the way. And God, we thank you again for the opportunity we have to be here. We look forward to the rest of our time together. God, we ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So, Ephesians chapter 3, if you want to turn there, we're going to be looking specifically at verses 14 through 21. Um, They should be on the screen, but you can follow along in your Bible as well. This is what God's Word says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And this is God's word. So over the past few weeks, as we've been moving through the book of Ephesians, we've been specifically focusing in on the identity that God gives to his people, both individually and as a church. And specifically, Paul has said some very, um, uh, has honed in on, on some big ideas for God's people. And he's been teaching the people of the Ephesian church, the, the church at Ephesus, he's been teaching these folks about their identity in Christ and what God has blessed them with. He's told them that they were blessed with every spiritual blessing going back to chapter 1. That they were chosen by God before the foundation of the world to be God's own possession to be his inheritance, that they had received redemption and forgiveness and an inheritance from the Father, 
that they'd been given the gift of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of what God was going to bring to fruition in their life, that God had saved them by grace, His own doing through faith. He's reminded the Ephesian church that Christ's earthly work of redemption was how God was reconciling the entire world to Himself. And He's reminded them that God unites His people into a body, a community, if you will. That's part of what the gospel does. It creates a community, a a body of faith. Paul's reminded them of that. He's reminded them that the purpose of that community is to carry out the mission of reconciliation that Christ brings. And then here in this passage, Paul prays some very specific things for God's people. It's kind of a difficult passage to preach through simply because what Paul is doing is praying that the Ephesian believers would have something. And in verses 16 and 17, he prays that the Ephesian believers would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And the essence of the request is is something like this, that just as someone who is sick or someone who is ill or someone who is weak needs to be strengthened and made well, so that inwardly they would be able to receive that all God has for them, that that, that would happen for them. And, and Paul says, I'm not asking this of somebody who is inadequate. I'm asking this of God because he can do this because of all his riches. And in verse 17 and 18, he prays that they would come to know and grasp the love of Christ. And he specifically says the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love. In reality, God's love is incomprehensible, right? But Paul prays that these believers would grasp it and take hold of it, that it would become real to them. And if you look closely in verse 18, Paul says that this is a group exercise. It's something the saints do together. A full comprehension of God's love is only found in community. In verse 19, he prays that they would know the fullness of God that they would be filled with all that God has for them. And that's sort of a hard idea to communicate. Um, And the best I could come up with is that it's like this. God is the ocean, and we're like a little bitty pint jar. And God can fill our little jar with everything He is, and we'll never be able to hold all that God is and all that God has for us. But Christ, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, can fill our lives with all that He is and all that He intends us to have and to be. And then Paul closes this passage in verse 20 and 21 with a great doxology where he praises God, where he equates what Christ did with the continuing mission of the church. And so Paul has spent this entire letter to the Ephesians up until this point He's been speaking to the Christians at the Ephesian church, the church at Ephesus. And he's been teaching them all these things that I just talked through a second, again, a second ago. About God's love for them, the identity they have in Christ, the riches of his grace and the unity that he has to offer. And the unique thing about this is he's praying that Christians would experience God's strength, love, and fullness which for the entire book, he's been telling the church they have. So it's kind of a unique thing. It's very pastoral and loving, but at the same time, it piques my curiosity. Why is Paul praying that the Ephesian church would have something that he spent the entire book up until this point telling them 
that they have. And so because my curiosity was piqued this week, I began to think through this passage and to pray about it. And it forces me to sit back and ask myself this question. Paul prays that these specific things would be reality for the church at Ephesus. So it forces me to sit back and ask myself, are these things reality for me? Have I, am I, being strengthened through the riches of Jesus every day? Is that part of who I am? Does that define me? Or am I a puny and weak Christian who fails every time I am tempted or every time I encounter a situation because there's a gap between the truth of what God offers me and the reality and experience of my everyday life. And I have to ask myself that question because I fail a lot. Do I understand the love of Christ, the width and depth and length and height of it? Because if I did then I would probably fully understand the gospel. And if I fully understood the gospel, it would probably affect every area of my life. And if the gospel has affected every area of my life, would my life look like it does now? Or would my life look differently? Am I constantly being filled with the fullness of Christ? Am I daily being renewed in the Holy Spirit and overflowing with God's riches, or is my little pint jar empty and dry like a desert? Right? So when I read what Paul has to pray for this church here, I have to ask myself this question. Is there a gap between the truth of what God offers, between what Paul prays for Christians here in this passage, and the reality of my life? Is there a gap? Has there ever been a time in your life when there was a gap between something you knew to be true and something that you had experienced as reality? Let me give you an example. I've been married for 15 years. It's hard to believe. And the first Christmas after my wife and I were married, my wife bought me something that I had wanted for a long time. She bought me a whitewater kayak. That was a long time ago. Um... And shortly after getting that kayak, I began to get involved with a group of guys here in Augusta who were kayakers. There used to be a store on Washington Road called AWOL. Uh, you guys may remember that store. It was an outfitter store. And there were some guys there who lived and breathed kayaking. Every weekend, they would go off and go whitewater kayaking, and they would sleep in the bed of their truck, and they would spend all weekend running different rivers all over the southeast. And so I began to kayak with these guys a little bit. And once a week, I'd go out and play this game called kayak football. It's amazing. It's like ultimate frisbee in a kayak with a football. It's great. And because I was around these guys, there was something that I wanted to learn to do. And I wanted to learn how to roll a kayak. And essentially what this is, is when you flip upside down in a kayak how to get yourself uprighted again so that you can continue on down the river or continue on with what you're doing. And so I read about how to do this. I talked to guys about how to do this. For six weeks, I practiced with these guys trying to figure out how to roll a kayak. I was on the Savannah River in February 
It was freezing cold. And I was doing everything that they had taught me to do to roll a kayak. When you go upside down, you lean forward, you get your paddle positioned a certain way, you pull down, you roll your hips, and you pop right back up. And I tried for weeks. And in theory, I knew how to do it, right? But when you tipped me over in the water, I was cold and wet. Um, but eventually, one day I got it. One day I figured it out. It all came together. It became a reality for me. So that the method of flipping this kayak back up wasn't just theory. It wasn't just knowledge. It wasn't just you hold your hands like this and you flip your hips like this and you do all these things. It became something that was real to me. And up until that point, there was a gap between what I thought I knew how to do and what I could do. You with me? There was a gap in my knowledge. You see, the problem for most of us as believers is not that we don't know the truth. The problem isn't that we don't understand the truth. We know our identity is in Christ. We know that we belong to Him, that He set us apart for His purposes. But there is a truth between that gap, or there is a gap between that truth and our everyday reality. There's a gap between our knowledge and our experience. There's a gap between our knowledge and reality. And that gap really only serves to subvert our identity and to undermine our understanding of what God's work in our lives really is all about. One of my favorite authors and pastors is a guy named Paul David Tripp. A few years ago, Paul David Tripp co-wrote a book called How People Change. It's a great book. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to go get it and read it. I'll even buy it for you. Somebody going to take me up on that? Zach, you going to take me up on that? So in this book, Paul David Tripp lays out very specific ways where these gaps show up in our lives as Christians, the way that these gaps blind us. He wrote of how these gaps blind us to our identity in Christ and how these gaps blind us to the fact that God has already provided for us all we need for life and godliness through the riches that Jesus offers. And ultimately how these gaps can blind us to God's process for our lives when we forget that the Christian life is one of constant work, constant growth, constant struggle, constant confession, repentance, and faith all of which is happening within the context of community. And so, you know, in this passage, Paul addresses those gaps very specifically. In chapter 14, he addresses, I mean, in verse 14, he addresses the gap of identity by reminding us that God is our Father, that we are God's children. In verse 15, he reminds us that God has a big family, that our identity is found with one another our brothers and sisters. In verse 16 and 17, he reminds us that Christ actually dwells in us through the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and to fill us and to give us faith because we belong to him. 
Paul addresses the gap of not realizing that God has already given us everything we need for life and godliness. In verse 16, when he reminds us that God has all the riches of the world and that he strengthens us according to those riches, he reminds us that God gives us power and faith for daily life in verse 16. In verses 17 through 19, he reminds us that God will root and ground us in the love that he has for us. In verses 20 and 21, he reminds us that God can do more than we could ever ask. And also in this passage, Paul reminds us that the Christian life has a process to it. He reminds us that we should pursue and comprehend and try to grasp the love of Christ, the height and depth and width and length. He prays that we would take hold of it and grasp it, that we would pursue the knowledge of the love of Christ. And that's where we're going to camp out for just a minute. Over the last several weeks, we've talked about our identity in Christ, and that's a really good thing. Over the last several weeks, we've been reminded of all that God has given us as His children, and that's a good thing. But today, we're going to spend the rest of our time together focusing in on how we can practically pursue the knowledge of God's love, the power of the gospel. G.K. Chesterton once said, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. And yet, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So what's the difference here? Chesterton says the Christian life is difficult, and there's no doubt about that. Anyone who tells you it's not is lying to you. We live in a fallen world that is being crushed and broken by sin, and affects us all. We all suffer. And ultimately, this is not our home. So life is difficult. There's no doubt about it. And yet Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, says that his burden is light and that his yoke is easy. He doesn't say there is no burden. And he doesn't say there is no work. Do you know what a yoke is? It's the wooden thing that you put around an oxen or a mule or a donkey or a horse that allows them to pull something that's behind them. Jesus doesn't say there will be no burden. He doesn't say there will be no work. He says his burden is light and his yoke is easy. And so the reality for most of us is that we are not filled with the strength that Paul prays for in Ephesians chapter 3. We don't grasp the magnitude of love. We of God's love. We are not being filled to all the fullness that God has to offer. And so Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 11, they ring hollow, they ring untrue, and they ring like something we can only wish for. And because we don't have that strength or we don't grasp God's love or we're not filled with all the fullness of God, the way of Jesus becomes burdensome and heavy, not easy and light. So how do we get to this, from this point where we are now? Where there's a gap between our knowledge and our reality. 
How do we get from this point to the place where we can practically understand, pursue the knowledge of God's love and the power of the gospel? I'm glad you asked that question. This morning, several people here in our church, as I mentioned, ran in the Augusta Half Marathon in the 10K. Jeremy's in the back back there. I think Jeremy finished in about two hours this morning. Yeah. My wife ran the 10K this morning, and uh, she ran her personal best time. And I know over the past several weeks that both Jeremy and my wife have been preparing for this race. They've been running. They've been working out. They've put a lot of effort into it. They didn't just get up this morning, put on their running clothes so that they looked really cool like all the other runners with their flashy shoes and their nice running clothes and show up at the starting line and run a race and do well. There may have been some people who did that, but I I doubt it. They didn't just show up. They didn't just dress the part They prepared so that they could do their personal best, or at least try for their personal best. They didn't go out and run the race with no preparation and no exercise and no training. Most runners that I know want to do their best when they run a race. They they may not be trying to win, but they're certainly trying to do as well as they can. And so most runners train and exercise and prepare and do whatever it takes to get ready for the race that they're about to run. It's an important part of running the race, the preparation is. So how does that relate to the Christian life? When it comes to our salvation, Paul has been very clear, and I, and I can't emphasize this enough, that we are saved by grace through faith and by grace alone. Do you remember Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, where Paul wrote, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is the basis for God's acceptance of us. His work His grace. But God's gift of grace does not mean that sufficient strength and fullness and understanding of God's love will automatically be infused into our being in our moments of temptation and need. God's grace is sufficient, without a doubt. But if that were true, Paul would have no need to pray the things he has in this passage If God's grace was automatically always sufficient to help us overcome temptation, and it is, but if it were always infused to us in our moment of need, then we would never sin. And so Paul is very clear in praying for the Ephesian believers that they would be strengthened, that they would know the love of Christ, that they would be filled with all the fullness of God, because those things aren't necessarily automatic, even though God gives them freely. Stay with me here. The reality of the Christian life is that the Christian life is a life of preparation and process. That preparation is pointless without the work of the gospel, without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yet we are called to that process as believers. 
Many of us make the mistake of thinking that the Christian life is merely about loving our enemies, turning the, turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, being nice, suffering patiently, waiting expectantly, and all the while living our lives just like everyone else around us with no spiritual preparation, no spiritual exercise. And that is a mistake. It is a way of living that is bound to fail. It's a way of living that's bound to make the Christian life even more difficult. So what does this process of the Christian life look like? Well, I can say this. There are certain prerequisites, if you will, for bridging the gap between our knowledge and our experience. Now, I can't be clear enough, okay? All of this starts and ends with Jesus. If Jesus isn't involved in the process, the process is pointless and the process is worthless. But these prerequisites simply prepare the soul, the soil of our hearts, for God's work in us and through us. And it's God that brings all of that to fruition. Philippians 1.6 says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you want to get into good shape, really good shape, what do you do? Well, you've got to exercise. You've got to have an exercise regime, a, a workout plan. Maybe you need to hire a personal trainer or surround yourself with people who will encourage you and exercise with you. Whatever it is, if you're going to get into really good physical shape, you have to be intentional about staying on top of your game. You have to be intentional about preparing to run a half marathon or a 10K. You have to be intentional about preparing your body. So what about your soul? Why is it any different? For centuries, Christians have invested in training up spiritually fit people by encouraging things that we often call the spiritual disciplines. And here it is. That is the process of the Christian life. What are the prerequisites that prepare us for the work of God in and through us, that prepare our hearts and souls to be strengthened, that prepare our hearts and souls to be filled with all the fullness of God, to fully grasp the love of God? Well, it's very basic and very practical. And I can't be any more practical than the things I'm about to tell you. What are the prerequisites in your life for you to regularly practice? Well, one is regular, sustained, and seeking prayer. It was important to Jesus. It ought to be important to us. Over and over and over as you read through the Gospels, you will constantly see Jesus living a lifestyle of prayer, getting away from the disciples getting away from the crowds and spending time in regular, sustained prayer with the Father. It was vitally important to Jesus. It should be vitally important to us. It should be part of our exercise routine. What's another thing to intentionally practice? Well, it's obedience to God's Word. 
God's word is very specific to us about ways that we should obey. There's no question about some things. And so regular obedience to God's word is important for us. Here's another one. Living in community, being a part of a church, being a part of a missional community if you're a part of our church, meeting with friends and fellow church members to encourage one another in the gospel, to encourage one another in what the gospel is doing in and through us, to call one another to mission for the gospel. There's no substitute for that. Here's another regular, sustained scripture reading. Regular, sustained scripture intake. This is... The Bible is God's Word. The Bible is what God intended for us to constantly have in our hands that we might understand Him, that we might know Him, that we might understand what God would communicate to us. Regular, sustained Scripture reading. Here's another. Regularly meditating on and seeking a deeper understanding of the Gospel. Now, when I say meditating on the gospel, I don't mean meditation in in an Eastern sense where we attempt to empty our minds of everything. I mean meditation on the gospel in the sense that we attempt to fill our mind with the truths of the gospel that we might grasp the width and height and length and depth of God's love. Here's another regular confession, repentance, And turning to God in faith. What should our exercise routine look like as believers that our hearts might be prepared for the work of God in our lives? Regular, sustained, seeking prayer. Obedience to God's Word. Living in community. Regular, sustained Scripture reading. Meditating on and seeking an understanding of the Gospel. Regular confession. Repentance. And faith, those are all necessary parts of the Christian life. They are not easy. They require you to work. And yet the benefits of those things are immeasurable. In the sense that they prepare our hearts for what God would have for us. You with me? Anybody okay? Anybody? Okay. Alright. So let's bring this back around full circle. What does Paul pray for the Ephesian church? That they would be strengthened, that they would grasp the love of God, and that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. These things don't necessarily happen automatically. Hence, Paul prays for them to happen. But there's often a gap between what we know to be true that God offers and reality. And that gap is ultimately bridged by understanding our identity in Christ, by realizing that God has provided for us all we need for life and godliness, and understanding that the Christian life involves work and process, not to get favor from God, but to prepare our hearts and souls for what God is going to do in us and through us. And there is no substitute for an intentional, disciplined, Christian life. Do I sound like a Puritan to you? I sound like Jonathan Edwards? It's not necessarily a bad thing. My point is not simply to sound stodgy 
The point is to remind us all that what Paul prays for here can be a reality in our lives. But for most of us, it's not a reality. It starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. But there's still work for you and I to do. That work is pointless without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That work is pointless aside from Christ working in and through us. And yet we're still called to a disciplined Christian life. I've got one final question for you and then I'm going to be done. Why is any of this important? Why should we even care? I would encourage you guys to go on the city today if you haven't seen this already. This past week, Ben created a a, a video that visually expresses what the vision of Redemption Church is all about. If you've been around any length of time, you know that we vocalize the vision as gospel community mission. Gospel community mission. We joke about it because we say it so often. Gospel community mission. I would encourage you to go home, log on to the city. If your friends have been on Facebook, look it up there. And watch that vision video. But essentially what that vision video communicates is that it is ultimately our vision, our mission, our goal, whatever you want to call it, that the gospel would advance throughout the CSRA, that the gospel would go forth and affect everything, that the gospel would go forth from here to the CSRA, to the entire world, to Uganda or Peru or wherever else that God would have it go. And that, my friends, is a lofty goal for the few of us that are in this room this morning and the few members of our body that aren't with us today. It's a huge goal. It's a huge mission. It's a huge calling. And yet, that's the exact mission that God gave the church. That the gospel would go forth, that it would be proclaimed that disciples would be made, that people would become a part of God's community, and that together we would be on mission for the gospel. Without the strength of God provided by His riches, we will never be able to accomplish that, much less live a life that bridges the gap between what's true and what's real for us as individuals. Without a supernatural grasping of God's love, we'll never be able to accomplish what God has for us. Without our individual bodies and corporate bodies being filled by the Holy Spirit, we'll never do it. Without a supernatural work of Jesus, this will never happen. And yet, look at what Paul says in verses 20 and 21. It bears reading again. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think... According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Luckily for us, in our personal lives, and as a community of faith, God has called us to something specific. 
And in this passage, Paul makes it very clear that whatever we could ask of Jesus as it relates to us personally and our walk with Christ, however it relates to us as a community of faith and the mission that God has for us, God can do abundantly more than we can even think or ask because of His power. And ultimately, to Him, there will be glory in the church. That means that Jesus, that God will be manifested in the church, will be made known. The people will see Christ in the church. And that Jesus Christ, through all generations, will be glorified because of it. Christ can do far more abundantly than we ask. Christ will be glorified in the church. And so church, where does that leave us this morning? As individuals and as members of a community of faith, where does that leave us right now? Where does that leave you right now? Where do you see yourself in this? Maybe for you, you need to develop an exercise routine. It's not hard. Nobody's telling you you have to go out and run a half marathon today. Maybe you need to run a half mile. Spend five minutes reading God's Word today. Maybe you need to spend five minutes in regular sustained prayer to God today. And the hope would be that you can build up to run a half marathon or a marathon or a triathlon. Whatever you want to do. But maybe today it's time for you to develop that exercise routine that God would have for you as it relates to very basic and very practical spiritual disciplines. Or maybe today it leaves you at a place hearing what God's Word would have to say to us that maybe we need to play a bigger role in what God is calling us to as a church. Maybe there's some way you can serve something you can do specifically as a part of what God has called us to. I I don't know. I can't speak for you. I can say that for most of us, there's probably a gap between what's true and the way our lives look. And we can pursue Christ, and we can pursue the love that He offers us, that that gap might be bridged. You with me? Everybody? Let's pray. God, thank You for the reminder from Your Word this morning that You offer us Your love and Your riches and Your fullness. Because of the work of Christ. God, I know for me, the things that Paul prays for in this passage are oftentimes not reality. I understand them, but they're oftentimes not real to me. I'm sure there are others in the room who are like that as well. So God, thank you for the reminder from your word that we can pursue what you offer to us. God, thank you that you can do abundantly more than we could ever imagine or ask. And God, I pray that you would be at work work in our lives to draw us to you and to help us to comprehend and to take hold of and to grasp these things. And God, I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.